Hey, brothers. Have you ever came by a case of missing Freemasons? It's kind of interesting. There's a lot of really cool things in our history. And tonight, we're going to cover just that. Masons gone missing. We have an excellent story lined up for you and a really cool brother joining us this evening that's going to help us walk through some of that very history. So stick with us. We have an amazing episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and we have a wonderful guest back with us this evening, Brother Randy Corthals. Brother Randy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing awesome. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's really cool because we actually just got to meet each other in person for the first time last night <laughs> that's right that was pretty awesome and and by the way brother you gave an awesome uh presentation that was that oh. was very interesting thank you so much uh so brother randy was able to come out to uh bester g brown lodge in wichita kansas last night i, I made a trip out there and, and gave a presentation and it was a special honor for me because it's a bit of a drive from the Kansas City area, so I don't get to visit lodges out that far uh, very often. Well, for meetings, I should say, out there quite often for other stuff on weekends. But it was really nice, uh, nice to get to be able to sit in lodge, and it was fantastic for Randy to be able to come out. Uh, and there was a specific reason you came too, and we're going to kind of get into that this evening. Um, but before we do, I want to get to know you first. So. Brother, give us a little bit of information about who you are and your role in Freemasonry. Uh, sure. Name is Randy Cordles. I'm a uh, member at large at Mystic Tie Lodge Number Seventy Four in Augusta, Kansas. Um, been a been a, uh, a Master Mason for a little over two years. Uh, started going to lodge in uh, 2020 and got entered in uh, January of 2020. So. Um, haven't been in Masonic circles too terribly long, but um, uh, I got to say it's uh, it's been a, it's been quite a ride. I, I've I've enjoyed it thoroughly. That's fantastic. So I, I'm curious, do you have family history in Masonry back before you? Actually, I do not. Um, so I actually have a large family. Uh, you know, my um, uh, I have 36 aunts and uncles, over 200 first cousins. Wow. And as far as I know, um, I don't know of any of them that are uh, that are Freemasons. Now, that may not be the case. There may be some out there, um, but I'm not sure of any because, uh, frankly, there's some of my first cousins that I don't even know. I haven't even met all of my first cousins. So, um, <laughs> well, with that so. size of a family, I, I think it's understandable. <laughs> right, but uh, you know, going back in the generations, uh, come from a family of. Uh, you know, um, a rich, rich farm, um, heritage and, um, you know, going back in those generations, I didn't, uh, I didn't see any, uh, any Masons in there. So. Sure thing. So two part question for you. 
one, what is it that really attracted you or kind of put masonry in your view to begin with? And I know you haven't been around a terribly long time, but since coming in, what is it that's kept you around? Um, great question. So um, and this kind of goes back to the heart of, of masonry and why do we do the things that we do, right? Um, I got to a point in my life where I had been the benefit of many mentors in my, both in my career and in my life, you know, um, and honestly, it was at that point in life where I started looking around and going, I really need to give back. I really need to be that person for somebody else. Um, and so I, uh, I started looking around for, um, organizations that I could be involved with that would not only allow me to uh, become and, and give back to other people, uh, but also give back to the community, uh, but also be around a group of people uh, that I could still continue to learn from. And uh, masonry, uh, for me, fit just absolutely every single box. Um, because we, we do community events, we do uh, give back to, uh, you know, we support the schools and the, the scholarships and all of that and the, the different um, uh, foundation work and, and, and so on. Um, and that's really what I was looking for, right? Um, and I was also looking for a scenario where I could learn from, um, again, you know, a group of guys, older men that I could learn from still and also be in a uh, environment that I could give back. And so um, we're doing some good things at, at Mystic Tie. And I think, you know, the the culture there is going to be uh, one that we're going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, develop Masons and develop future Masons. I love it. I love it. And, you know, after uh, hearing some of the things I've heard, uh, finding some of the things I've found and some of the things that you're going to talk about this evening, I got to get back out that way because now I want to visit Mystic Tie as well. I've got to sit and sit and lodge with the rest of your brothers out there for sure. Well, you're more than welcome anytime. Well, before we jump into the meat and potatoes this evening, we've got a couple things I want to cover. For one, I want to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters. We've been around since 2016, dedicated to Masonic history and illuminating our past of this fraternity. If you like what we do around here, you can join us over at the website, historicallight.com slash support and join us through Patreon. Got some awesome uh, support levels there and you can get those perks such as the lapel pins, the ambassador jewels all that jazz and uh, you know help us keep spreading some masonic light as we continue beyond that of course we've got masonic con kansas just around the corner coming this summer in july we'll be back for our third year and i'm telling you guys right now this is going to be our biggest year yet uh, we've only released two of the speakers so far if you want to know who those are, make sure you head over to either our website or our social media and you can get that information. And we are releasing the rest of the speakers week by week. So definitely get on the email list, get on the social media and subscribe because we have a powerhouse of Masonic educators, Masonic lecturers that we're bringing in, uh, not only from all over the nation, but internationally. 
and it is going to be a fantastic event one more time full day lined up of just all you can handle of masonic education and of course topped off with the epic festive board uh which is going to be themed this year and you guys will surely enjoy that so head over to masonicconkansas.com be sure to get your tickets we want to see you guys we got guys already saying they're flying in from all over tickets are selling out so make sure you go grab those while you can and I want to give a few shout outs real quick to the guys that are commenting over on the Facebook side, joining in with us. Uh, we've got Brother Justin Staley, who's from my home lodge, Gardner. What's going on, Justin? Uh, we've got Brother Maddox on here, longtime fan and supporter of the show. Thank you so much for being back. And we got Brother Kenneth Beeler from Colorado saying greetings. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate you being here. And now I want to talk about some Masons gone missing. Now, this is an interesting topic. So I'm just going to throw in kind of what brought this all about, um, because most of you know, I'm director of the Lodge of Research. So I get tossed into some interesting historical deals that, you know, have been sitting under dust and hidden for many years. And one of these came about recently because of the whole deal, and we're not going to get into it, but the whole deal with the Kansas Masonic Home uh, and the happenings there. So within that and moving out of that facility, we were called out there to kind of gather all the historical items that we could and move it to the Grand Lodge archives. And we spent a full day out there. I mean, it is an impressive facility. Uh, we need to do, once we gather all the info, we need to do a full episode just on that. But if you guys can imagine, uh, this facility started out as a large mansion uh, estate and was added onto and then added onto and added onto and became this massive campus. So within that, not only is it a huge facility and you're talking 100 plus years of Masonic history in there, um, but since it was added onto in those phases, it's not just like a steady walk of a place, right? Like it's not just all there in front of you. You've got these nooks and crannies all over the place. And we went up into some upstairs hallways and compartments that I would be surprised if anyone had been up there for a decade, if not more. Um, and we pulled out some really, really interesting history. We found records that were shoved under boxes that looked like they hadn't been touched in 50 years from pyramid lodge. Uh, we found, orphanage records from when the children's home was based there, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so we started out because obviously uh, Kansas Lodge Research, we're trying to get all this stuff digitized and build up that digital uh, archive. We went ahead and brought, or I went ahead and brought all the images first round back here and started scanning through those. So had a whole bunch of boxes and you'll still see <laughs> some piled up over here that we're working through. Um, but as we were working through some of these boxes, scanning in all these photographs, some papers mixed in, we, we found some pretty cool stuff. And I was surprised to find two of these items. I'd never seen anything like this before. Uh, I'm going to pull up the very first one I found that wasn't Kansas related, uh, but it was distributed or distributed, I'm sorry, upon uh, Kansas Lodges. Give me one second here. So I came across this and it says here Fraternal Lodge number 221 AFAM from Davenport, Iowa, missing brother Julius 
Rachu, not going to kill that last name, uh, whose photograph appears here in this circular disappeared in Kansas City, Missouri on or about July 1st, 1910, gives a full description, some remarks, and this was sent out to all the lodges in the area to try to get the word out. And I'd never seen anything like this before. It seems like a fantastic idea, you know, especially in that time when uh, social media and all that's not present. Get it out amongst your brothers. Get word on the street for sure. But this was really, really interesting to me. This stood out. Went ahead and posted it in our Kansas Freemasonry group and got a lot of reaction from it. But then we found another one as well. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. So we've got multiple cases here of brothers gone missing over the years throughout our history. Um, but one of them here hit a little closer to home in fact, to Brother Randy's home lodge. And it was neat because this is the only existing copy of this article. It's an original copy uh, that we know to exist. I've never seen this before. Randy's lodge has never seen this before. So they reached out and we actually returned this to the lodge, sent their history back home to them. Of course, got the scan for the archive, um, but there's some really, really cool story behind it here. And Man, Randy, you're my type of guy because within less than 24 hours of you know ever talking to you and telling you that we had this, uh, I showed up at Lodge last night to hand over the document to you, and you didn't show up empty-handed either. You'd been quite busy, and I think that's kind of what we're going to talk to. So I'll let you go ahead and, and dive in. All right. If you, uh, if you don't mind, um, let's just start by taking a look at the document that you found. So if we could um, set up that screen share and show the document, then yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, uh, the we'll, one that I just showed or the one from your end, the one from my end. Yep. Let me grab that. Just give me one second here. Are we up? Is it up? There we go. Excellent. So I'm going to read through this document um, and um, then we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so this, uh, this document, um, Augusta, Kansas, January 20th, 1890, Robert Clark, the master wardens and brethren of mystic tie lodge number 74 AF and AM send fraternal greeting and most sincerely ask any information that you may be able to give concerning our brother, Robert Clark a master mason in good standing of Mystic Tie Lodge, number 74 AF and AM, Augusta, Kansas, also a member of Douglas Chapter, number 57 RAM, Douglas, Kansas, and a Knight Templar of El Dorado Commandery, number 19, El Dorado, Kansas. Brother Clark left Augusta, Kansas, December 8, 1889, for Kansas City, Missouri, with the intention of returning home via Ellsworth, Kansas. He left his hotel in Kansas City the morning of December 10th, since which time he has not been seen nor heard of. Description, age 42 years, height about 5 feet 11 inches, weight about 165 pounds, florid complexion, face somewhat pitted or scarred, angular features, brown eyes, prominent nose, thin chin whiskers and mustache of darkish color sprinkled with gray, steel specks on the back of the hands caused by dressing mill burrs. Lower teeth will all, were all or nearly all intact. 
false plate above with perhaps five teeth, three on the left side, two near the front. Brown mark about the size of a dime on the back of the right wrist. Carriage erect, with shoulders well back, step firm, hands habitually in his pants pockets. When he left home, he wore a light gray suit, light colored derby hat, a black diagonal overcoat, a large tiger eye ring with one corner of the setting chipped off. He carried a hunting case silver watch with hair guard, gold fastenings, and bands suspending a Knight Templar charm. He carried two tan-colored traveling grips, one containing flower samples, stamped Clark Milling Company, Augusta, Kansas. We earnestly asked the fraternal assistance of the craft in furnishing any information as to the whereabouts of our missing brother. And uh, the document was signed, W.A. Shannon, Secretary, and uh, L.S. Hall, Worshipful Master, Mystic Tie Lodge, number 74. And one thing that I don't know that you can really see too well from the picture, but we know this is an original document because there was actually a raised seal um, over the secretary's signature from our lodge um, down in the lower left-hand corner. Yeah, this is, a uh, you know, needless to say, this is something I came across. And the first one was neat, right, uh, that had been mailed in from out of state uh, concerning something that happened or potentially happened here locally. Uh, but coming across this one, uh, the amount of description and, of course, being a Kansas brother, this was like, oh, wow. So this was a thing I'd never seen or heard of these before. But this one, yeah, this one struck me as well. Uh, so, uh, so. Alex, what do you think? Do you think um, if uh, one of us went missing today, our brothers would be able to uh, give quite the uh, quite the description? You know, that is an amazing point. And honestly, it's kind of a conversation we've had on some different points before, because in too many lodges today, we know our brothers as that guy that shows up on Thursday night, and we don't know much more about him. Yeah. And these guys, you can tell, they knew each other. They knew his habitual habit to keep his hands in his pocket. They knew his stature, everything about him to give such a description in obviously a short amount of time. Uh, makes you kind of think, you know, how close they were in those days versus how close we truly are today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a couple of things in here. Um, you know, it, and again, uh, when I first saw this, it was through one of your posts on, uh, on one of the social media sites. And, um, I was, well, first of all, I was, uh, quite surprised and, and, and to see that it was actually from, uh, the home lodge. Yeah. Um, but, but as I started, you know, reading through it, read through it a couple of different times, you know, I, I really started getting interested. And um, I can't leave it alone once I get once I get invested into a story. And of course, you know, there were some other folks that uh, that also commented on it. You know, what what's the end of the story? How does it end? Was he ever found? Um, right. And that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I, I couldn't leave it alone. So I started um, um, I started thinking where could I, you know, find more information about this? And, um, you know, obviously the archives of the lodge are, um, are, are one area. Um, I don't have a hundred percent access to that. So, um, barring getting, uh, uh, getting some time in and being able to dig into the archives of the lodge, I might find some more information there. 
but one place I knew I could go that um, I knew would have plenty of information about this time period and the early days of our of our uh, of our settlement and our our town uh, was our local Augusta Historical uh, Society and Museum. Definitely. Um, and I know the folks down there, they have regular hours. Um, they have a fantastic uh, facility. But I got to admit, you know, I've lived in Augusta um, since 2007. And I can count on one hand, okay, so maybe even one finger how many times I had been down to the, uh, the local museum. Um, but I knew, uh, without a doubt, they would have some information down there. So um, that is actually where I started, uh, started doing my research and I started doing my search. Um, and, um, boy, I, I just, I, you know, when I started that journey, I just, I wasn't even prepared for all of the wealth of, of, of information and everything else that I found down there. Um, I'm telling you, you know, you made a mention of it, uh, you know, going out to, uh, to see the, the museum and, and get it, get a chance to look at every, look through everything for yourself. Um, it's worth the trip. Um, I've lived here since 2007 and, uh, you know, uh, kind of ashamed now to say that I hadn't been really thoroughly through the uh, facility until, uh, until this last week, the last couple of weeks. Um, but once I did, boy, I found um, I found a you know a, a little treasure trove of of uh, good information and good people. So that's really where I started, you know. And, and there were some things in this description that um, gave us some clues, right? So uh, Brother Clark left Augusta, Kansas, um, and he had been seen up in his uh, up with family in Kansas City, and he left his hotel in Kansas City, right? So the first question I kind of thought was, where did this letter, where was this letter completely distributed? And maybe Alex, you can help me understand a little bit more about that. You found it. Um, where did you find it again? So that that's hard to say. Like we where we found it was in the uh, was in what we yielded from the Kansas Masonic Home. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say where it originated from because it was probably in the possession of one of the Masons that lived at the home between 1890 and modern day, right? right. So uh, it, it could have came from a lodge that met there. Mm -hmm. uh, it could have came from an individual. It, it's really hard to say because at the same time, uh, the Kansas Masonic home, that's where a lot of our brothers retired from all over the state. So this really could have come from a distribution anywhere within the state. My assumption is they would have probably distributed this around the Kansas City area. Uh, right. So lodges within, you know, Johnson County or on the Kansas City, Missouri side, somewhere around there. Um, maybe a little farther out, but probably not so much Western Kansas and such. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I, you know, that was that was my first thought as well. Um, it probably got sent to some of the lodges in the Kansas City area and um, uh, more, more than likely got sent uh, maybe even a copy to the, uh, the Grand Lodge as well. Um, so there may be some additional information, additional records there um, uh, to be found if we, if we should pursue that direction. Um, and, and again, looking through this, uh, there were some other clues in here, you know, toward the bottom of that description, uh, it says, you know, he carried two, uh, tan colored traveling grips, one containing flower samples, 
uh, stamped Clark Milling Company, Augusta, Kansas. And I knew that if I uh, if I was going to find anything on on Robert Clark or Clark Milling in the local files, I would need to go down to um, down to the, uh, the the historical society. And so that's really where I that was an easy one for me to to get down to and, and meet with um, uh, Miss Priscilla down at the uh, at the historical society. So um, I. I uh, made an appointment and, and I walked in, um, I had sent her, I contacted her through, um, uh, you know, instant messaging and, and, um, sent her a copy of the letter. And, and she said that, you know, yes, they did have some, some files and they would, uh, she would do some research and, and we would meet up later that week. So, um, I was looking forward to it. And, um, uh, when I got down there, um, the first thing that that impressed me um, instantly, even before I had a chance to uh, to talk with uh, Miss Priscilla, was the fact of um, the historical museum itself. Um, not only do they have a museum with fantastic set of you know old photographs, newspaper articles, um, you know descriptions of the founding fathers of the city um you know antiques and and uh, artifacts from the early days of our town um you know all cataloged and and laid out and displayed in a museum but right next to the museum and part of the um, augusta historical society is a building and this building um is uh has extreme you know historical significance in augusta um, but that building is the um, the trading post, the original trading post from when Augusta was founded. Oh, wow. Our, our founding father of the town, uh, a guy by the name of C.N. James, was sent down here to this territory uh, in which there was really nothing out here um, at that time. Uh, but he was sent down to this territory to establish a trading post, him and and, and a couple of partners. And so C.N. James um, brought his wife down. He brought he brought his, he and his partners came down and they built this uh, two story uh, trading post. And C.N. James um, was instrumental. He was our you know, he and his wife were our founding fathers, uh, our founding uh, yeah, founding uh, fathers of the city. Right. Uh, C.N. Chester and James was. Um, uh, decided on the plot and the location, and uh, when it eventually grew into a town, he named the township and the town after his wife Augusta. Um, and so that's oh, how okay. our that's how our town got its name, actually. Um, but they built this really interesting trading post, and C. N. James and his wife Augusta um, not just invested in in the business of trading, but also invested in the business of starting a life and starting a town and so they were instrumental here they started the first church they started the first school um they started the first um uh, the the trading post and they started the bringing in business right um one of the other things that that he did um was he was a master mason in good standing and he started um the mystic thai um lodge he uh he requested from Grand Lodge, you know, dispensation to start up a lodge. And he and the other founding fathers of the, the city were the uh, charter members. There were nine charter members of the lodge. And guess what? They met 
um, in the same place as the school, the same place as the church, and the same place as the trading post, which is the upper floor of the trading post, was where all of these organizations met. And so the first, for the first five years of the lodge, um, that was back in 1868, uh, we, uh, we came under dispensation and we got our charter in October of 1869. And so for the first five years of the lodge, we met in that um, room up above the, uh, the trading post. And so um, when I came down there and I saw that they had the actual trading post down there still, and it's the original log, pat, log cabin or the log building um, and so on, it, um, and it was founded by, uh, by a mason, um, by the name of, you know, C.N. James, Chester James. He was, uh, founded the, founded the town, the, the, the trading post, the lodge. He was the first master of the lodge. And, um, and he was master from 68 to 69, 70, 71, uh, 72, and, uh, and also 74. And so, um, and this image here is what something you, uh, obtained through your historical society there. Yeah, that is correct. Wow. Actually, this is a this is an image that was part of a booklet um, of some of the information that Priscilla provided to me. So um, some of the things that she has on her records down there um, that I had seen for the first time were the 80th anniversary of the lodge, which was which was uh, published in 1948. That was our 80th anniversary. And um, in the in the inside leaf of the uh, of the uh, um, anniversary booklet, the memorial booklet was the was this image, wow. um, along with a few others. And so, um, again, you know, all of this stuff was discovered, if you will, um, in doing research and kind of running down a couple of rabbit trails. But wow, sure, um, what you know, uh, it's interesting what, though. It, it goes to show all of you listening to this need to go check out your local historical society because you know, all history is, is rediscovering the current, right? This was all known information to the guys of the time. This, you know, they, they knew this image, they knew these stories. Um, but over time it didn't get passed on. And now we are, you know, rediscovering it. This is beautiful. Like in Kansas masonry, I see a lot of the memoriam posts uh, that you'll find throughout the, you know, the newspapers and even written up on really nice paper uh, distributed for the lodge, usually with a ribbon through it. I've not personally seen something of this magnitude come out of Kansas. I mean, someone put a lot of work into this. You can tell this yeah. is hand drawn, just immaculate work, uh, really, really stunning and a great piece of Kansas Masonic history. That's mm -hmm. huge. And if you wouldn't have gone to your historical society, you'd have never seen this. Not only that, Alex, but Miss Priscilla took care of me. I told her that I was going to be meeting with you, and I told her that I would try and beguile you into getting a copy of that letter that she was pretty interested in. And uh, in some of our horse trading, she had an extra copy of that 80th anniversary booklet printed in 1948. And so I now have a copy of that as well. That is fantastic. So, um, but also I uh, wanted to share this uh, with you as well. This is um, again from a different page in that booklet. Um, but this is the, the sketch of the, the original launch. 
um, on the top and also what that building looked like in 1948. Uh, of wow. course, it says, you know, well, actually, this is from the 100-year booklet. So this was from the 1968 booklet. But yeah. um, the, uh, you know, as it stands here, it was started 100 years ago, 1968, original log house as it stands in 1968. Now, it's been through one additional uh, restoration projects since then, at least one, maybe even two, but it still stands in that same spot. You'll notice in the lower right-hand corner, there is a, um, there's a hitching post, a, a concrete um, hitching post there in front of it. That's the original one. And um, that was, uh, and that still stands there today. Wow. And, um, this, this building is available to uh, tour. Um, you know, they have regular hours for the museum and this is connected with the museum. And so this building is, is open, um, I believe daily for tours. Um, and this is what oh, the um, upper floor of that looks like uh, today. And that's, that's the real place. That's where everything started here. Yes, that is, that is it. That is it. That's the floor. Um, I can't promise you that that's the original furniture, but I'm, sure. I'm guessing it's pretty, uh, some of it might be pretty authentic. You so, know, that, that's just so rare today uh, among so many of our lodges because a lot of our buildings are old, um, but many of them have been replaced and they've been, you know, burnt down and destroyed over the years. How cool is that to be able to walk in and stand in the room where the first meeting of your lodge ever took place? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. 154 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's it's also interesting sitting here, uh, just kind of nerding out on different topics. Uh, so my home lodge, Gardener 68, uh, was chartered 1968. They got their dispensation 67. Uh, but noticing you guys are 74, just making me think, man, that was a really busy time in Kansas masonry uh, because at least six, seven lodges during that year uh, were popping up. So, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that book that I referred to, the, the 80th anniversary, has a lot of good information about um, C.N. James himself, and um, it gives his entire Masonic record. He was initiated at King Solomon Lodge, number 10, in 1863, uh, passed in 1863, raised in uh, May of 1863. You know, he was secretary of the lodge. He demitted and admitted to Council Grove. I mean, he's been all over. Um, and not only the, uh, the Blue Lodge, you know, he was, uh, he was part of uh, Grand Lodge as well, Grand Sword Bearer in 1870. Wow. Uh, and, and so on. And reading through some of this, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, Alex, but oh, yeah. honestly, um, C.N. James was instrumental in this area. He, he, he's, he was known as the father of, um, you know, the lodge because he started, um, he started a bunch of the other lodges. He was the one who started, um, you know, when Wichita first started to get organized into a, a, a city and they wanted to start their first lodge there, um, Kellogg and Cox uh, went to C.N. James to get their dispensation started. Um, and so as, as, a, as on behalf of the Grand Lodge, he started the um, Lodge 99 in Wichita. And, um, and also the lodge down in Douglas, uh, El Dorado, um, 
you know, so he's got ties to uh, starting and, and the foundations of all of those. Later on in his career, he only spent about six years in Augusta and got hired or got um, appointed to be the district, um, uh, the district uh, court, um, work in the district court in, in El Dorado. And so that's when he moved over there. He started that lodge um, and also um, was part of the, the El Dorado commandery for, uh, um, for the Knights Templar and so on. So wow. um, really super involved um, Masonically. You know, it's probably uh, not the case, but I'm sitting here staring at your uh, photograph here. Did you personally take this? Yes, I took this photograph. So it's probably just me being hopeful here, but looking at that podium, eh, yeah, I think it's probably too big to be an altar maybe, but mm -hmm. below the circle, it almost looks like it could be a square there. I mean, I would highly doubt that that's still Masonic furniture, uh, but it kind yeah. <laughs> My guess is, not, I know I, I get it. My guess is though, this uh, podium was actually from the first uh, Christian church in Augusta. Wow. It was probably the first uh, sermon pulpit. That's uh, just amazing. But, but that would be my guess. But yes, I, uh, I I've got, uh, and again, we could we could go down that rabbit trail maybe another day. But you know, I've got a bunch of that information as well, and um, that's uh, on my radar to be one of my next, uh, um, you know, research projects as well. Sure. So. Now. I've been through Augusta before. It's been quite some time, but just to, to refresh my memory and those watching that may, maybe not so familiar, um, from Wichita, where is Augusta distance wise? Approximately 15 miles, um, east of Wichita on uh, highway 400. Cullen. Okay. Fantastic. 54, 400. Yeah. So, um, and then this is, uh, right at the end of, right at the end of main street. Um, and like I said, they've got, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, daily hours. Uh, so it's open um, all the time. Stop by, uh, not only say hi to Priscilla, but um, and, and the and the uh, the team there, but um, uh, really appreciate and thank them for the work they do, because this is uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things we talk about a lot on here, um, not just the encouragement for everyone to go and check out your local historical society, your county historical society, your state. There's information everywhere, but don't just go once. Go back, maybe stop in annually because, you know, I go through a lot of different online databases and I can tell you just from that front, I can check those once a week and very frequently I'll find something that I never found before because it's not stagnant. They're going to add new stuff to it. And just as they add new stuff to the digital archives, these historical societies are getting stuff all the time as well as more people pass away and stuff gets donated and stuff just gets found. Uh, you never know when something new is going to wind up there. Um, our local historical society here in Gardner actually has the charter uh, for the old Oddfellows Lodge that met in Gardner, that Gardner Masonic Lodge shared space with for many years. And I was really surprised to see that because you can't find anything on them anymore. And you go in there and there's their original charter hanging right yeah. on the wall. Well, it, and funny you should mention that, Alex, um, because about three doors down from the historical society is the uh, Independent Order of Oddfellows Lodge. And um, back in the archives, I don't, 
I, I doubt it was in that particular building, but back in the archives, after Mystic Tie Lodge was done meeting here, uh, like I said, they met here, they paid $5 a month uh, for the privilege of meeting here. And um, after they met here for the first four or five years, they got to a size where they needed a bigger space and, and they wanted a, a place that they, uh, that they could uh, to do some, do some work in. So, they shared hall space with the uh, uh, with the odd fellows and um, they shared they shared a lodge for uh, several years that's fantastic now you said the lodge is just a few doors down is it the old building or is that lodge still meet i i the lodge is still meeting uh, wow. i believe um they are still meeting the the building is still dedicated to that it's got a fantastic um you know, sign that hangs off, uh, you know, up in the top of the building above the, the, the canopy and the, the windows are all, um, you know, dressed out as, uh, you know, 150 years plus and, and, sure. um, and so on. It's a, it's a really historic lodge. And again, I, you know, uh, all this stuff that you notice, cause I, it's one of those buildings that you could walk by 50 times and not really notice it unless you have an inspiration to look there. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, Oddfellows in Kansas has always intrigued me um, because they spread faster, quicker than Masonry did here. Uh, in most small Kansas towns, we'll see a history where the Oddfellows Lodge was already established. So when the Masons came in, they would, you know, borrow space from them because their lodge is set up dang near exactly like ours. Uh, their officer positions, everything's very, very similar. So it just made sense. Why go build a new space when you've got right. this perfectly good and matching space available? But the other cool thing is you would also find in that time that most of your Masons were also odd fellows. So if you do have an odd fellows lodge in your area, it might be worthwhile to check in because you'll probably find some crossover history and points that you haven't found on your side. Yeah, very much so. And again, uh, well, yeah, well, hey, I, you know, there's more to this story, right? Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, when I, you know, after I found all this stuff and I was, you know, kind of dumbstruck and thinking, man, I've got to get back here and plan for some real time to dig into this, right? Um, I, um, I met with Priscilla and um, she did not disappoint. She had, uh, she had some goods for me. So um, we started in our discussion about um, some of the simple things that we could look up first, and she looked up and brought uh, brought out the uh, uh, some of the information from Ancestry, right? Um, and we we find out that Robert Clark uh, was married to Margaret Rose Laurie, and uh, between the two of them, they had seven children. Uh, you know, William, Robert, Harry, uh, Jean, Minnie, John, and uh, and Margaret. As, as, so there, Margaret was the wife, but, but there was also a daughter named Margaret. And um, as we were talking about this, you know, um, we we're kind of looking for other information about uh, Clark Milling and about Robert Clark. Of course, we know that there is a Clark Street in Augusta. Um, and so this is probably all tied back to some of these original, um, you know, uh, town folk and so on. Um, but what we find here and what she um, alluded to were, were some of the kids. And so we started talking about some of the children. And um, I'm telling you, um, the first one that I kind of want to talk about here is the, their daughter, Minnie Clark. 
Minnie Clark, um, they uh, is was a friend of the uh, was a friend of the Augusta um, Historical Society, and they got a lot of information about that. And she married a guy by the name of Orville uh, Orville Holford. Orville Holford um, and Minnie were married in 1911. Uh, she, of course, was the daughter of Robert Clark. Her mother resides uh, resided in New York City after her father's death. Now, it doesn't say in the article what that was or when that was, but Orville and Minnie had seven children as well. Uh, Robert, Francis Floyd, Margaret, Jean, William, and John. And then it goes on to say that Orville was a prominent in a number of lodge circles, the Masonic Lodge, the Royal Archmasons, the Knights Templar, the Mystic Shrine. He was a past master of El Dorado Lodge, was a district deputy grandmaster of 34th District of Kansas. He was also, surprise, surprise, a member of the Modern Woodmen and Independent Order of Oddfellows. And they were, um, of course, members of the local Christian church. Um, and so some of this information, again, we started going down some rabbit trails and start getting some more information and more information. Um, but one of the things that quickly caught my eye was a photograph in the file. And um, she pulled out um, the photograph and it looks like this. This photograph obviously was taken um, before um, the uh, 1889 uh, date, so uh, circa mid-1880s and so on. Uh, but you'll notice they're right in the middle. Uh, second one in is uh, Robert Clark. Yeah. Um, and uh, next to him is uh, Doc Hall. You remember he was the, uh, the worshipful master that signed the letter looking for Robert Clark. Um, another um, Mason on a Cisco on the left. Oh, may have lost you. Look like you froze up there. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Um, see if he kicks in here in a second. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. You're back. Okay, good, good. So uh, the, the fourth gentleman in this photograph, unknown. Okay, so we don't know who that is. But the interesting part about this photograph is this was, and I'm going to flip over to the back of this photograph. Oh, wow. This photograph, um, again, labeled um, o Ona Siska was a merchant in Augusta. Robert Clark was a miller, which we, we knew that from the, from the letter. Um, Doc Hall was, a, was an MD, fourth one we don't know. But this, this part is interesting to me. This was a gift of Margaret L. Clark, which was the youngest, um, the youngest child of um, Margaret and Robert. But wait a second. Going back to Ancestry.com, Margaret L. Clark was born in 1898. And you'll know and remember that uh, Robert Clark actually disappeared in 89. Uh, so almost 10 years before, uh, Margaret L. Clark was born. Yeah. So, I mean, that may add to the mystery of what we're trying to find out here. Um, certainly, you know, that generation and that age was not, um, immune to indiscretions and, and things like that. 
but looking up Margaret L. Clark's information um, in Ancestry.com is listed as, you know, uh, Robert was her father and Margaret was uh, her mother. So um, again, either the mystery deepens or, or it doesn't. So we're not sure exactly what happened here. Um, but clearly Margaret was a, uh, was a friend of the, uh, a friend of the, the, the museum and she donated this picture um, to the, uh, to the museum. So one more, one more look at the, uh, the, the photograph itself. And these, uh, these guys are um, part of the commandery, the uh, El Dorado commandery uh, number 19. And that's what, uh, what this picture is, is, uh, is showing. That's very cool. And of my primitive knowledge of commandery, I'm noticing uh, the Worshipful Master there has a sword with the white grip, which I believe means that he was in kind of the grand line of that body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, and if I remember right, and I don't have it right here at my fingertips, but I think I saw some of his Masonic uh, history as well. And, and if I remember right, yes, he was... Um, um, uh, part of that uh, uh, leadership there as well. It's just so cool to think, you know, from from just grabbing a random box from the Kansas Masonic home that would have ended up in the trash and scanning through and sharing, that's the key that comes back here. Not just looking at it myself and saying, oh, that's cool and moving on, right. but sharing the history with our brothers brought this before Randy who then thought it was pretty cool and also dug in. And now all this history has been connected dots just because that one page was found. It just goes to show how much out there is there to be uncovered. And you just got to do a little digging. And it always helps when you can have some others help connect those dots for you because there's so much out there to connect. Well, and as we just seen in, in, uh, in this case in particular, right? I mean, uh, you know, we may get some answers here. We may not. The story's not done yet. We've got a few more minutes to chat. Um, but the fact is, we've got lots of questions and lots of other things yeah. and lots of other rabbit trails to uh, to dig into and uh, continue on with that research. So, uh, so fantastic. I'm curious. In your research, did you happen to come by anything about him either being found or what may have happened to him? Um, good, good question. So, in uh, um, talking with uh, talking with Miss Priscilla, um, unfortunately, we did not find anything on the uh, Clark Milling Company. Um, there were some other milling companies, but uh, very unclear as to whether or not they were related or the same or different. Um, but I did find one other piece of information. Um, uh, on this from uh, from the library and again this uh, from the museum and this goes back to that book I mentioned earlier that pamphlet the uh, 80th anniversary uh, pamphlet which I've got a, uh, a snippet out of here and um, I'm going to try and uh, make this a little bit bigger see if you can see that but this goes through this 80th anniversary goes through a lot of the early days of the of the lodge and the notes and so on and um, it gives year by year, it gives uh, some information about who the, the officers were in the lodge um, and who sat in the chairs and so on. And of course, this is 1890. 
the following year. He disappeared in December of 89, right? Right. Um, and so it lists, you know, obviously L.S. Hall as uh, as the Worshipful Master, W.A. Shannon as secretary and, and so on and so forth. The other uh, the other uh, officers and it gives some statistics. So it closed with 14 stated six uh, special communications um, initiated two, passed two, raised three. And then this is the interesting part, right? Recapitulation of the annual returns. Love the way they talked. Um, number of members at the beginning of the year, 65, raised three for a total of 68, demitted eight. And then we see the line item there. Uh, Brother Robert Clark was lost and dropped. Um, and so really the only thing that we can kind of conclude from that is that he was not um, found was not brought back to uh, to Augusta to live out his days, sure. um, and so um, that's really. Uh, I, I don't want to say that's a final note, but that's kind of a final note, um, and that ties in with what we saw from Ancestry.com as well. And Ancestry lists it just slightly differently than they would a normal um, a normal death date. Um, they said at age 43 death and then they list instead of just a date they list after uh december 12th 1889 again um with the um, mm. uh, insinuation that they don't really know what his death date actually was right so i can at least say i know for a year they didn't find him um, <laughs> i didn't do a whole lot of digging in uh, but I did go through some old newspaper articles and I found a couple interesting listings. Now, the one I found uh, sounded a little gossipy, as you will find in that time period. So, you know, take from it what you will. And I'll repull this and make sure I, I send it over to you. Um, but the one I had found was listed a year later and it was actually concerning his brother. And it tied the two in like some kind of conspiracy. Um, so it said that when Robert left town, it was interesting because just a matter of a couple days before he left, uh, talked about their business that was extremely successful and said that Robert had deposited over $450 or something uh, for the business. Uh, and if you convert that in today's money with inflation and all that stuff, uh, calculated here shows that would come down to about $13,500 in today's money. So deposited a fair amount of, uh, of money into the account and then like two days later, he took out $100 for himself, and that's when he disappeared. So $100 in 1890 would have been worth around $3,300, uh, you know, roughly. So takes off a few grand. It's not going to get you. I mean, it's money, but it's not going to get you forever for sure. Uh, but then we see that one year later, well, I guess it listed at that that he left and that there was no uh, concern about it being for money because the business and the family was extremely well off. There was money in the, in the bank. He had just deposited a large check for the company. So they weren't hurting for money. So they're trying to say, you know, he, they don't think he killed himself over money concerns. Um, and then he even left with money in his pocket. And it said that all the six kids were extremely well taken care of. But then one year later, it mentions his brother, uh, shoots himself through the heart mm. and they don't exactly know, but they thought maybe money was a concern at that point. Again, it was written a little gossipy about that, but 
what we can take from that is the brother dies a year later and they still haven't found Robert. So we know he at least didn't appear for a year, but it doesn't sound like at all. It's just really interesting. The, uh, the mysteries that we find out there. Yep. Yep. Uh, and again, you know, there's still, um, rocks that we can, uh, 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 look under and, and places Holy that we can find more information. So, um, uh, when I get a chance to uh, dig a little bit into the uh, the archives of our lodge and or uh, some other uh, local resources here, I know the 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 at the time it was called the Augusta Republican. Um, the the local newspaper um, had uh, those files are are uh, are still locally available as well. So. Um, you know, one other thing I, I find interesting, and it's, you know, it's not guaranteed that it has anything to do with this, uh, but I went and searched the digitized files for our Grand Lodge membership records, and I do not find a card listing for Robert Clark at all. Not there. Now, it could be because those were all physical cards that had just got misplaced or whatever through the years, but it kind of makes me wonder if someone else researched this at some point in the past, and that's when that card got misplaced. So mm. more than likely this rock has been unturned before, and it'll be interesting to see what exactly those dots are that can connect out there. Well, like you said a minute ago, you know, um, historical society, the museums and so on, they, they, they get things continually in all the time. And now Priscilla's got a file started on Robert Clark and um and the family and how that's all connected so uh that file is only going to grow from here 100 percent. and you know the beautiful thing is now you guys are having this back and forth conversation and in this particular instance she was able to offer you a lot um, mm -hmm. but if we look at on the wide scale picture not just here in augusta not just in kansas throughout the entire world we see when these communities come together Often, it's these guys in prominent positions with the local lodge that are those key figures in starting these communities. And we have some really remarkable history throughout uh, Freemasonry. So it's neat, and we have something to offer to the community in that way as well, uh, a little bit of history that they wouldn't have. They'll probably have some, you know, oh, the records when he was mayor, or when he was first doctor, or, you know, all these individuals. But we also have some really interesting stuff and oftentimes personal letters, different photographs that they may not have that can add to your local uh, history as well and kind of list their, you know, ups the prominence of Freemasonry and that connection is, uh, as it goes through. Yeah. And, um, you know, interesting that you should mention that as well, because um, as I was walking out the door, uh, Priscilla uh, comes waving back at me and she goes, Oh, look what I just found. Look what I just found. And, and uh, <laughs> it was a whole file that she had set aside about the, the mystic Thai lodge. And I said, Oh Lord. Wow. Um, I, I cannot take the time today. I will not get out of here. <laughs> so I promised her that I would come back with my scanner and, um, and, uh, you know, and spend some time and dig through that. So I don't know what she's got in that file, but, but Lord almighty. Uh, well, you know what you just did to yourself there. <laughs> you, you guaranteed a part two, because we're all curious. We we've got to know what else you find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure there's more to come. And, um, and like I said, I, you know, 
this is the kind of thing that I love doing, and, and it sparked my interest when I saw the uh, saw the post, and and um, um, you know got me uh, got me motivated to uh, motivated to action. That's and, fantastic. Well, brother. It was amazing to have the opportunity to meet you last night. Uh, it's amazing for you to come on this evening, and I cannot wait to see where you go with this research. Uh, truly, truly appreciate you coming on, and I'm going to keep up with you because I know there's more to the story, and I know you're going to uncover it. Uh, we typically always end these off with a toast. I'm toasting with Coke Zero tonight because I'm flying out at 4 o'clock in the morning for Conference of Grandmasters. So, my brother, if you wouldn't mind, can you lead us in a toast this evening? I will. Um, so this glass, you may recognize, I don't know if I can get it up here. Yeah, not. I do. <laughs> that was from the, uh, the, the founding year, uh, the Founders Club. Um, but yes, Masonic Con, and um, I've got some, uh, some uh, delightful Woodford Reserve tonight. So um, here's a toast to, uh, to the craft. And to the brotherhood um, that is dedicated to looking out for each other. Here, 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 here. Brother, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to meet you, getting to have opportunity to sit and lodge with you last night, and continue our conversation today. Uh, it's beautiful that something so seemingly small in Masonic history uh, has opened up so many doors and a friendship and I can't wait to see where this all goes. So thank you so much for all you do. You're young in the craft and I know you're going to do great things. So brother with that, thank you so much for being here and we will see you all next week until then keep preserving the history of Freemasonry. Have a great night.